I'm going to read Philippians chapter 3, verse 17 through 4, chapter or verse 1. So here now God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Let's pray together. Father, this is your word, and we we desire to hear you clearly, even through the feeble lips and words of me, uh, a weak and sinful servant. Um, Father, your spirit is among us. Your spirit helps us to discern truth from error, and so help us to do that this morning, and uh, help us to glorify Christ. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Hold on a second. Uh, As you get seated, I I need to, I brought a colorful stick from home that uh, you may be able to identify because you've probably seen something like this before, and you probably know how to use this thing, but, uh, you know, I was thinking about it, it's actually a fairly versatile stick. Um, you know, it could be used as a, a sword if you were ever in a sword fight, or if you needed a, a light workout, you could use it as an exercise bar, or um, you could uh, use it as a, a walking stick or some kind of cane, you know, it's got other other purposes that it could meet. It could be a, a gavel if you're conducting a meeting or if you were going to make some kind of pizza, you could use it as a rolling pin. But all those things are, are fairly uh, ridiculous, honestly, uh, because you know what, that this is a softball bat and you know how to use it. But how do you know how to use it? You know because you have seen somebody exi- show you how to use it. They've set an example and you've learned to imitate it. Now, imitation is an important part of how we learn. Uh, If you were going to coach a new t-ball team full of four-year-olds, I mean, words words are helpful. Words are necessary when we learn, but sometimes words are not very clear. You could tell those four-year-olds, okay, pick up your bat and swing it, and they they could start to swing it like this on their side, or they might swing it in front of them, or, you know, some of those four year olds might get a little violent and start to swing it like this. And to clarify things, you would say, no, 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 you'd pick up the bat yourself. You'd say, okay, take both hands, and make a good stance, put your feet facing the plate, and put your hands back, and you would show them how to swing. And over time, as the parents and the coaches worked with each of those players and showed them according to the example how to use the bat, they would begin, become, begin to understand how to do it themselves, and they could even set an example for others. And beloved, uh, the reality is that uh, examples and imitating examples are part of how God has created us to learn. It's how we grow, um, and, and it's not so much a question of whether or not we will follow examples. It's a question of which examples we will imitate. 
and whether we will imitate good examples or bad examples. This is true also in the Christian faith. You know, God declares to us in his word what we must do, how we must live, and yet um, it's hard for us to visualize and to see what that actually looks like in uh, the course of our lives. And, um, and yet what our passage tells us today is that God has given us examples to follow that we must uh, follow in them. And um, so what we need to hear from our passage is that God, um, God's people are conformed to godly lives in Christ Jesus as we follow the godly examples that God sets before us. And we'll, um, uh, the Apostle Paul puts these two trains of, of examples, bad examples and good examples, before us. And we'll, we'll follow his, his logic as he considers those by saying, uh, these are the examples to follow. And then here's the mindset of that example. And then the end of those examples. So let's begin by, by looking at the two examples. He begins with the good example which is a bit surprising. He says, brothers, join in imitating me. Seems a little pompous or perhaps even heretical uh, that the the Apostle Paul would would say something like that. We might expect him to say, brothers, join in imitating Christ. But that's not what he says. He says, join in imitating Christ. Me. He puts himself forward as an example, telling, commanding the church to imitate him. And, and it's not just him. He also drags in his, uh, the, his, his friends that he's already talked about. Uh, you might remember from a few weeks ago, Timothy and Epaphroditus, those faithful brothers. He says, he says, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. He has his brothers in mind there. But how could Paul draw the attention to himself rather than to the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, the reality is is that he's not taking his eyes, he's not telling us to take our eyes off Jesus Christ. He wants us to see Jesus Christ through the examples God's put before us. Because Jesus Christ is the perfect example. He is the type. He is the pattern. He's whom we must follow, but Jesus is in heaven. We can't, we, we can read of his example. We can understand it by the work of the Spirit, and yet we can't see it. And in 1 Corinthians 11, the Apostle Paul made of this a little bit more clear where he told the Corinthians, he says, be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. So our God has given us a legacy of godly examples from generation to generation which must point back to the Lord Jesus Christ, examples of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is important, and this is wonderful, because whether or not we intend to, we do follow the examples that are before us. And there are ungodly, unhelpful examples. And that's what he he turns to next. He says, for many of whom I've often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. There's this bad example. It's hard, it's hard to know exactly who he's talking about with this. Who are these many that are walking as enemies of cross, the cross of Christ? 
we can say a few things. Um, certainly, a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ must not set as their example for life an unbeliever. Believers and unbelievers are as opposed and different from one another as light is from dark. And so our pattern of living and our examples for how we live cannot be unbelievers. But I think what Paul has in mind is, is some kind of members of the church or people who bear the name of Christ but are not living in accordance with the way of Christ. They're not imitators of Christ. There's something about their life that is setting an ungodly and unhelpful example. Because he says, I tell you now, even with tears. And Paul reserves his tears for those in the church who have received the grace of God and yet have cast it aside. And beloved, what you need to understand is that it's part of how God has created us. It's part of our makeup that we, we, we watch examples. We, we learn from examples. We imitate examples. Now, there have been some modern um, scientific studies uh, where scientists have identified what they believe, what they call a mirror neuron, a, a type of neuron in our brain that uh, they think is somehow connected with this process of imitation and, and, and learning, um, it, it's the, the part of the brain that gets triggered if, say, if you're watching a race and as, the, as the, the runners of the race get near the end and they're sprinting with all of their might, all of a sudden your heart starts to beat as you feel this identification with these people that are very far away because you, you, the, the brain is putting you into the thing that you're seeing. You're identifying with that Example. I mean, it's probably the same reason why, you know, if you want to learn how to do something physical with your hands, I mean, you can read about it in a book, but, you know, that's not where we, let's say we're doing a home improvement project. Where do we, where do we innately go? We open up YouTube and say, how do I fix this drain in my plumbing? And you watch a video and you see somebody do it so effortlessly and you say, I can do that. And like, I remember those steps. Somehow the YouTube video is much shorter than the amount of time I end up taking, but that's another story. But it's that power of the connection and seeing the example and seeing how that person did it. And, and brothers and sisters, it's, it's also the reason why pornography is such a powerfully destructive force. Because it's that same sense of the, the viewer places themselves into that pornographic situation, identifying with them, that, and it becomes a part of you. And if you've ever heard the lie that pornography is a is sin that hurts no one, do not buy that lie. It, it is destructive and dangerous for a whole host of people, and you are at the top of that list. But the point of it is that we are designed to look to examples and to imitate examples. We do it inherently and subconsciously. We do it in business. We do it uh, as we try to figure out how to parent our kids well. We look to other examples. Um, our culture screams, look at me, walk this way, do things my way, whether it's 
Hollywood superstars or social media superstars. And, you know, the reality is even preachers learn how to, how to preach through following examples. And so because this is so much a part of who we are and how God has made us, and especially so in the Christian faith, we need to be very careful who we imitate. Who we imitate. We will do it. We need to be careful who. So who in the church ought we to, to look to? What ought to be our examples? Well, in all humility, I will t- tell you that God exhorts elders to set an example for the flock. And it's a terrifying thing to be an elder and to know that you are being set as an example. But the Apostle Paul told Timothy, he said, set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, and in purity. Uh, the Apostle Peter told elders, shepherd the flock, don't, don't, ex- don't be domineering, but set an example for the flock. And so God sets elders as an example for you and me to follow. And so when we look to men who we are going to call to be elders in the church, we need to look for men that are exemplary in their godliness. We, we want to look to men that will set an example that our spouse, our children, we want them to imitate that because we will imitate um, their way of life. Deacons are exemplary as well. These, these men who are set us apart for exemplary service. We are all called to service, but God puts deacons as exemplars, as examples of service. We look to them to teach us how we can serve in a godly way. Uh, but it's not just officers, not just elders and deacons. I mean, we know that uh, any godly man, woman, or child that is setting a godly example are examples that we ought to look to. If we can see Christ shining through God's people, we should do it. Ladies, look to those women that exhibit godly womanhood, those who love their husbands and children and have a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is precious to those who reflect the, the, the virtues of Proverbs 31, which are beautiful and glorious. Men, look to those godly men, regardless of their age, that exercise self-control, that are controlled with their speech, that have a gentle spirit and love the Lord Jesus. And students, even you set examples through your prayers, through your love for Jesus, through how you worship, how, how you love one another. Set an example for one another and follow godly examples. Um, but we do have to remember that the examples God gives us are human and sinful and imperfect. And so we need to, we don't adopt everything wholesale, but we look for Christ in those examples. Our, our example must be like a clear glass pane through which we see Jesus Christ and not allow the, the pain to become dusty or dirty where we're marring the image of what we're supposed to see and certainly not a mirror where we just reflect back what we want to see. We need to show Jesus Christ. In our example, we need to look for Christ 
and follow that example. But in what way do we imitate? What, what is it ex- exactly? It's certainly not everything that we're supposed to imitate. And I would assert to you that Paul's focus throughout the book of Philippians is, is our mindset. That we ought to have uh, the same mind, he said, the same mind as Christ. And we're looking for that godly, spiritual, Christ-like mindset. As he said, in, and it's, it's through our mindset that it, it transforms our lives. You might remember that famous passage from Romans chapter 12 where Paul says, be transformed through the renewing of your minds. And so we need to understand the mindset, the, the godly mindset and the ungodly mindset and follow the, un, or follow the godly mindset. But, you know, how, how exactly do you, how, how could you possibly imitate another person's mindset? Paul says, look at how they walk. Look at how they live. We might have a spoken theology a spoken thing that we, we believe or that we hope, but uh, you can't fake what you really believe because what you really believe will work itself out in how you live, how you walk. He says, um, keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Many whom I have often told you even now walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Our walk, our life matters and it reveals what we truly believe, it believes our mindset. Our mindset is based on our hope, and our hope is based on our faith in Jesus Christ. So let's consider what these two mindsets are that Paul wants to uh, encourage us with and warn us against. I mean, he begins with the, the negative mindset. Um, it's there in verse 18. Um, they walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. It's kind of an interesting statement, isn't it? An inf- interesting phrase. He doesn't say they walk as enemies of Christ, but enemies of the cross of Christ. And the cross is, of course, a sign of our salvation and of our hope. But the cross is such a sign because it was at the cross that Jesus suffered. He, was, he suffered for us. It was at the cross that the heinousness, the awfulness of our sin was put on display as it was placed on Jesus Christ. And he was brutally killed and judged on our behalf. Uh, and it was the culmination of his perfect obedience through his life. He was obedient to death, even death on a cross. And so it's this, uh, this sign of our hope, but it's also a sign of suffering. And these, this, this, these twin truths of suffering and hope have been Paul's theme throughout this entire book of Philippians. I hope you remember that. He said that um, it's been granted to you not only to be saved, but also to suffer for his sake. That we suffer as Christians because of our union with Jesus Christ. It is identification with him that we are 
we are participants with him in his suffering. And his message all along has been that suffering is the necessary path to glory. Just as Jesus Christ had to suffer and was ultimately raised to glory in the power of an indestructible life, it was through the path of the cross. And the same is true for us. Is that Paul's been talking about his suffering, even as he writes from prison and all the other things he's had to endure, he says that those are, those are part of his identification with Christ on his path to glory, that God, God is preparing us for glory through the path of suffering as he did for the Lord Jesus Christ. And that just as for Jesus, this life, was not his place of glory, but his place of his humiliation. So this life is not our place of glory, but our place of humiliation. But these professors in Christ walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. They have no desire to identify with suffering. They want their, their glory and their uh, their peace, and their salvation in this life. They're uh, looking for self-indulgent satisfaction in this life. He says, he says um, their God is their belly, meaning that they, everything they do is to self-indulge and self-please in this life. That's, they're working for pleasure now. And, and he goes on even further to say that, um, that they glory in their shame. Uh, probably a reference to sexual indulgence outside the bonds of marriage, which God permits. And he's saying that that's their glory, that's their highest end, their, their chief goal. And to summarize, he says, with their minds set on earthly things, this is what it's all about. This is what they want. Self-indulgence. Sexual indulgence, earthly mindedness. Brothers and sisters, doesn't that sound an awful lot like the modern church? Or at least the mindset of a majority of the American church? A self pleasing, self serving, self indulgent mindset. Does that describe you? Is your heart set on self-indulgence on being pleased now. We can, we can say with our words that our hope is set in heaven, but what does your walk reveal? What does your life reveal? Is your heart fixed on earthly pleasures and earthly security and an earthly hope or is it set on the eternal glory in Jesus Christ, which is uh, abiding and will not perish, even if it means, especially knowing that the expectation is that that comes through the path of suffering. Are you willing to suffer for the sake of Christ in this life for the sake of that? Or do you want comfort and peace now? Beloved, if you are living with your mind set on earthly things, you are living as an enemy of the cross of Christ. 
But there is another way. There is another mindset that we must follow. He says it in verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Now he uses a, a few different Roman analogies. Uh, you might remember, he uses this term citizenship. You might remember that Philippi was established as a Roman colony, and so uh, the majority of the Philippian residents gained Roman citizenship. And so like at the talk of citizenship, like they their you know, chests would puff up and their heads would be held high. Like, I understand what it means to be a Roman. But he says, no, no, this is, you have something far better. We have something far better than, than that. Set your mind on heaven. We have a heavenly citizenship. That is far greater than what we have here, even through the glorious Roman Empire. So he says, set our minds there in heaven, the, the, the greater city. But secondly, he, he, th- this, this other mindset is that we have a greater Lord, a greater Lord, and that the Lord Jesus Christ must be our Lord, our sovereign Lord. We must submit to him. He says, from it, from heaven, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that, that doesn't seem too surprising to us, but that was a not-so-subtle dig at Caesar. Because Caesar, among the titles that he ascribed to himself, were Savior and Lord. And Paul says, oh no, Jesus Christ is the Savior and the King of kings and Lord of lords. And we must subject ourselves to him and his righteous rule. Our minds must be set on him. And the third thing is it is set on his supreme power and authority. It says um, Jesus will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Philippians, Jesus Christ will subject even Caesar to himself. All things, and that power is for you. That power he will use to transform your lowly body, our lowly existence, to be like his. He will exalt us just as he was exalted from his low condition. He, by that same power, will exalt you and transform you. He says this life, it's not worth wasting our energy on and setting our minds because it is lowly. It is perishing, it is temporary, it is fleeting. And he says, beloved, you've been given eternal riches. The hope of eternal glory. Not a lowly existence, but a glorious inheritance. And a glorious existence. So don't cast it away. And the mindset is, this is what awaits for us at the end of the race. This is what the reward is going through the path of suffering. So don't give up the path for the riches here and now. Because he turns to the end, the end of the two examples. He says, understand where these paths lie. For the one set on the the earthly things, he says, their end is destruction. Their end is destruction. 
Those who set their mind on earthly things set their minds on things that are perishable, that will be transformed, that will be uh, cast aside, thrown away like a, a garment by the Lord Jesus Christ at the end of days. Things that are lowly and corrupt. Beloved, uh, many of you know that uh, over the past week, um, my wife and daughter and I had a chance to go on vacation, and we went to one of the most beautiful places on this earth, to the island of Maui in Hawaii. And I, I'm, I'm convinced that this is one of the most amazing places that you could ever visit uh, in this life. And, but what I always have to remind myself about places like this, and what I have to remind my family, is that even beautiful Hawaii, with all of its dazzling sunsets and its amazing coastlines, beyond which you can see the whales splashing and playing and, and the glorious rainforest with their deep ravines and amazing waterfalls and even the mysterious extinct volcano Haleakala. All those things, even the pinnacle of what we can see in this life is in bondage to decay. Beloved, we can't even imagine it. When Jesus Christ returns, even the glories of a place like Hawaii or the mighty mountains or the deep ocean will seem like absolute rubbish compared to what we have in store for us. It will be transformed into something glorious. But beloved, we who set those who set their mind on earthly things, that's all that they get. And they will spend eternity in utter anguish. But for us who have set our minds on heavenly things, our citizenship is in heaven. We are already enrolled on the register. That is our home, beloved. We, our bodies will be transformed to be like him. We, we can't even imagine such an existence because we're so confined to these lowly bodies, but we will have no sickness or sadness or adverse effects of aging, no aches, no pains, no cancer, no fading minds, no diabetes, no weight gain, no eating disorders, no anxiety, no OCD, no bipolar disorder, no mental or psychological or physical or emotional illness forever and ever. But bodies that work the way they were designed so that we can worship God in joy and gladness all of our days. The lowly will be transformed to the glorious. The perishable will put on the imperishable and, the, and we will experience eternal salvation and glory. And beloved, we need to understand that the life of faith is not just a spiritual or intellectual exercise. We, it, it is a whole self, body and soul. Our bodies matter. Paul doesn't, Paul doesn't denigrate or, or diminish the value of the body. He, he says, this is a lowly experience. And it's subject to decay, so don't set your hope on it. We have a hope that awaits us. Outwardly, we waste away, but inwardly, we are being renewed day by day. But our hope, 
Our ultimate hope is not simply that we will be in the presence of Jesus Christ, but that we will be in the presence of Jesus Christ and our God forever and ever, body and soul. We await the resurrection of the body, that it will be transformed to be like his glorious body. And what that means for us is that we have to honor God in our bodies now. We walk in accordance with how he calls us now. Live lives of faith and walk in Christ in the body. And so we imitate those examples that God puts in front of us. Imitate their faith by examining their walk and walking in the same way. And beloved, all this, all this hope is only ours because of the, what God has done in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the perfect example. He is the type that we are trying to follow. He is the one that we imitate. He is the head of all these things. He walked a perfect life of faith. He needed no example. He was the example. And he was obedient to death in the body so that we could be obedient in the body. And he was raised from the dead in the body so that we could have the resurrection of the body. And he went through the path of suffering on the way to glory so that we could follow him in the path of suffering on the way to glory. And God demonstrated that he will do the same thing for us because he raised Jesus Christ from the dead and has seated him in glory with all power and authority. And God says, by that same power, I will transform your lowly body to be like his. This, beloved, must be our hope. This must be our true treasure. This must be our mindset. This must govern every aspect of how we think and speak and act. And examples of that kind is, are what we must imitate. And that's the example that we need to set for others so that we can leave a legacy of godliness from generation to generation as our God desires. And beloved, if you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, or if you have set your mind on earthly things, I implore you to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. This is not something that you can do on your own. God will never accept your best attempts to be good as a path to citizenship and glory. The only path to citizenship is faith in Jesus Christ. But he offers his son to you. He has offered his son to you. Jesus Christ was publicly crucified to bear the weight of your sins. Receive that gift and walk in him. Set your hope and your, your glory in heaven. Because if you set it here, I, I, if that's your in, in, intention and where you insist on living your life, then I would encourage you, eat and drink, for tomorrow you shall die. This is the best it's going to be. But our God has set ahead for us so much greater that is ours in Jesus Christ. Receive it. And beloved, for all of us, this is the root 
and the grounding and the foundation of our hope and our ability to stand firm, because that's where he ends. He says, therefore, my brothers, whom I love and I long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord. Stand firm thus. That's our hope in the midst of trials and tribulations and suffering is the hope that Jesus Christ is coming again and he is coming again soon and he will transform us. Our citizenship is in heaven, beloved, and from it we await with tip on our tiptoes for our Savior, our King, to return. And he's coming soon. He's coming soon for you and for me, beloved. So let's be ready. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your uh, reminder and your, uh, your love for us that you would direct our eyes away from our feet and up to the heavens, to the things above, our, even our Savior Jesus Christ. I thank you that he has uh, created the path for us to glory and he has set an example for us to follow. We, we do want to reflect Christ. We do want to live in a way that is pleasing to you with our minds set above. We can't do that apart from your grace and your spirit. And so Holy Spirit, please work in us. Conform us to the image of Christ. Help us to be a community here where we model that for one another and help us to glorify you. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen.